0: you are listening to weird distractions podcast a podcast where we tell you stories of true crime paranormal and conspiracy theories to bring you a weird distraction to your everyday life I'm Alex. And Christy. And this week we are back to true crime and holy mother loving shitball <laughs> canoe up the river. It is an absolute shit show. Hopefully you're listening to this on a long commute because it may be a long one. Oh dear. We might be here for a long time. <laughs> for a good time and a long time perfect <laughs> before we dive in christy what is your need to be distracted
1: this week uh my need for distraction this week is i'm in the middle of changing work places Ooh. you know working in healthcare. there's Matt leaves da, 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 da. <laughs> so i'm moving places again just work wise i get to stay where i live thankfully for commuting right but it's just a crapshoot of like who's taking my shifts, who's filling my line, when am I leaving, Uh, when do I start?
0: I don't envy you in shift work, because I remember way back back when, before my 9 to 5, having to, like, get shifts covered, and there's always that one asshole who, like, Refuses to take anybody's
1: shifts, and you're like, Why do you work here? And I always take theirs, right? That's 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 the most annoying thing,
0: yeah. It's like you're always willing to offer to take people's shifts, but then when it comes to your turn, it's like everyone's busy, yeah. (laughs) It's like y'all are dicks, I totally
1: understand. Like, it's the shitty part is like, Yes, like I'm a single person who has like no life, like I work for a living, that's my life, and other people have kids, and I get that's hard to do, especially like right now in COVID with like no daycare, blah 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 blah. But yeah, it's just like, Oh my god.
0: Yeah, fair enough, and it's it's just challenging when you're constantly, like, helping people out, and you... C- it's not that you should expect people to help you, but you at least expect that humans would have the decency to, like... Yeah,
1: like, once in a while, like, try and make a shift work. Exactly. So stop taking your shifts. Probably not actually because I need the money, but, like, <laughs> I going not want to stop taking your shifts. <laughs> I'm money
0: hungry, but take my shifts regardless. <laughs> well, and actually, on that note of shitty fucking humans... Oh, dear. I... I'm just getting so infuriated with the amount of hate and flack for people who wear masks right now. So we're we're obviously like we're recording this in July and it's still obviously COVID, Mm -hmm. COVID city, whatever. But I just the whole like oh my gosh, I'm not wearing a mask because it's my right as a human being not to have to wear a mask. It's like you. I literally read (sighs) something
1: today that said. Um, something along the line of like, do you wear your seatbelt? Yes. Do you stop yes. at a stop sign? Yes. And it's like, do you like when they ask you because like, it's government things to tell you to, yeah. like it's law you have to follow it. So when they make a law for you to follow a mask, you saying I'm not doing that is like you pretending to be a child having a tantrum.
0: Exactly. Like I just don't understand. And for people that are wearing masks, like for example, I wore a mask to the post office last week and I got the dirtiest freaking looks from a family of six. Who thought an outing to the post office was fun. And somehow I got the dirty looks. Because I was in there by myself wearing a mask. And like respecting everyone's space.
1: And the family of six gave you dirty looks.
0: Ex- yeah. And I'm like where the where the fuck do you get off? You know I'm mask wearing people.
1: Eight <laughs> or six of you in the post office. not very big. No.
0: Exactly. And like especially where I live. Like I live in a small town. So <laughs> my... Post office is, like, smaller than my house. Like, it's so tiny. Yeah. And so you have to, like, wait for people to kind of come in and out. And if there's people in there and you don't realize it right away and you go in, you're kind of, like, trapped in a corner. And, of course, they had children who are fucking running around flicking their boogers at every orifice in the entire room. And it's, like, keep your kids at home. Like, this is not a fun adventure. Mm -hmm. Like, just keep your kids at home or bring them with a mask or, you know, just don't bring them don't bring them like I just I and it's actually funny because in our hometown there was a protest mm-hmm. of people not wanting to wear masks and it's like
1: look a, a large protest of like 20 people
0: of 20 people <laughs> 20 walking people we probably went to high school with about 10 of them and it's just it's fucking stupid it's anyways if you're listening to this and you're like I'm not gonna wear a mask well blah, well, just stop listening honestly like
1: we are for the mask we yeah. for the mask it does something.
0: It does something. Oh god. And okay, so before we get into our true crime episode, which I'm super pumped for, um, a little bit of housekeeping. So we are going to be doing some podcast shout-outs. <laughs> um if you follow us on Twitter, you probably saw that we we mentioned like, hey, we're gonna be recording tonight, like if you want us to shout it like shout you out. Um, like holler at us and (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people that were like yeah so luckily a lot of my clients didn't really want to talk to me today so I was able to devote some time um, and Christy kind of gave me the green light without really knowing what I got us into (laughs) Um, but we're gonna be talking about some really cool podcasts actually I think there's a blog um, and an actual network that is in the kind of shout out aspect of things and eventually we're also going to be including from time to time trailers of other podcasts um because as you might have known we're kind of a small business slash we're not making any income right now because we're focusing more so on stories and not the ads but they might be coming soon just too small independent woman just too small independent woman um But we want to obviously promote other shows because they're good. I mean, read the bios. I've listened to them. I think you've listened to a couple Mm -hmm. of them. Like, we want to promote what we think is good slash what sounds interesting, what people that are listening to us might be interested in. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's all distractions. Like, we're we're just giving you a heap ton of juicy,
1: weird...
0: Good distraction, so that, hey, when you're done this episode, you can hop on over and listen to somebody else. So that will be after the story, after my resources. Stay tuned. And I think without further ado, and before I...
1: Jump into this doozy of a story. Jump
0: into this doozy of a story, I'm going to take a sip. Sip of my vodka drink.
1: Looks like an interesting drink.
0: It's, uh, we're not sponsored by these people, by the way. But if you're listening and you work at Ace Hill... Um, and want to sponsor us. I love your drinks. It's a raspberry vodka soda and it, it literally tastes like raspberry jam, but like carbonated.
1: Mm, like sugar?
0: It's it's not that it's not that sugary. No. No. It's only got one gram of sugar. No preservatives, and it's gluten-free. Fancy. Fancy. Anyways. Let's get into it. So, true crime. Had to bring us back to the cults. So that's where we started.
1: We love a good cult. We love a good
0: cult. Episode 16. Bring us back to the cults. If you don't know why we love cults so much, then you probably didn't listen to the first episode, which was about a really gross Canadian cult. Um, this time, though, we're in the States. Our sisters are the sea elf. Wild bangs. <laughs> in the wild bangs. Which are not doing so well right now. If you're listening from the States, we hope you're okay. Because there's a lot going on. Not even, like, in terms of like, the Black Lives Matter thing. Like,
1: that's everywhere. Because so I haven't looked at the COVID stats lately. Oh, definitely... my God.
0: I don't want to.
1: <laughs> Last time I heard it was, like, the 50,000 one day. And I was like, bye.
0: I'm sorry. But, like, can't... I'm not saying this to be me. But, like, please get your shit together. Because I love going to the States. Like, we went to New Orleans in January. And I want to go back, like, tomorrow. I'm
1: so glad we went before this all started. Oh, my
0: gosh. Yeah. or so else we'd never be able to go. Yeah. But, like, I want to I wanna come back and visit the States. So, like, if y'all could just... Get your shit together so I can come back and, and tour around and see some creepy shit. That'd be great. Anyways, um, so we are talking about the Alamo Christian Foundation, which was started by Tony and Susan Alamo.
1: Sounds very, like, cheery so far.
0: <laughs> You're going to take that back soon. Um, so it was actually founded in 1969 by Tony Alamo and one of his wives... We'll get to it. Uh, Susan Alamo. Before we kind of actually dive into the cult, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of both of, both the history, sorry, of Tony and Susan. And then we'll talk about the cult, the, you know, the upbringing, the, you know, golden years, and then the downfall, because there's always a downfall. Because, of course, that's because why you're on here. <laughs> that's that's why you're on here. That's why it makes it weird, because, well, everything that happens within it just gets really weird and depressing and dark. But that's why we're here. So we're going to start, ladies, first with Susan. love a good Susan, except for this one. <laughs> she Susan was actually born Edith Opal Horn on April 25th, 1925. Making her a Taurus, uh, and she was born in Alma, Arkansas. And every time I, wear, I read Arkansas, I don't. <sighs> Did you ever watch Vines?
1: Like a few. Okay,
0: so there's this vine, <laughs> and it's, it's like, it, it's the map of the states, and it's this woman pointing, so she points to Kansas, and she's like, Why is this Kansas? And then she points to Arkansas, and she's like, And this isn't an Arkansas! Explain to me!
1: Oh my <laughs> and god. I just,
0: every time I see it, I can't help but laugh. Um, But anyway, so Susan, who I'm not going to call her by her birthday, I'm going to call her Susan. Yeah, we're going to get Susan from Edith. We'll get to it. (laughs) Um, She was reportedly known as like a popular social butterfly, like in her youth and as a kid and as a teenager. She's popular. She's the popular girl, but she wasn't like super interested in school. Mm, rebel. Rebel, rebel. Um, and she'd actually be described later on by her daughter, Chris, as, this is a direct quote, she was beautiful in the weirdest way. Not like... <laughs> that's a <great> compliment. <laughs> Not like you would look at her and go, wow, a striking beauty. But when she walked into a room, she had so much command that people stopped talking.
1: So she was confident?
0: I feel like was, that's more confidence than like...
1: Beauty? Beauty in, the, in a weird way. But, okay. like,
0: I'll have to show you a picture after, because I, I, I don't have one on me handy. But she wasn't, like, she's not, she's not ugly. But, like, to me, I looked at her and I was like, eh? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't know. I, well, it was the confidence. <clears throat> okay. uh, so Susan dreamed of being a famous actress and leaving her small town of Alma. However, love intervened.
1: um
0: in 1939 at the ripe age of 14 she married a 17 year old
1: classmate she had ripe age of 14 ripe age of 14 oh dear did you think i said rape age no (laughs) (laughs) because i I heard (laughs) i heard 14 i was like rape age of 14
0: yeah um so in 1939 she marries her classmate as you do on the playground duh Um, And that following year, so 1940, they had their first child. Fast forward to 1941, the marriage broke down in divorce. No wonder. So we got one marriage down for Susan. Susan then rekindled her previous dream of becoming famous, so she ditched her family and her newborn son, left Arkansas, and moved to California. Except very maternal. Yeah, No. (laughs) When she arrived in California, she changed her name from Edith Horn to Susan Fleetwood and would try acting once again. I don't know why Susan per se. I think it was just more maybe of like a common name, mm, like a more popular, stage name. well, more pop- popular name than Edith. Because I don't know any famous Ediths.
1: No,
0: I don't. I can't recall any famous Susans right now either. No, but like
1: Celia no. V. Who knows?
0: <laughs> um, that's not the proper way to say love V. But anyways. <laughs> Um, so obviously at this point in time, like, she's 16, she just moved to California, she literally ditched Alma, Arkansas, and everything that was there, Mm -hmm. doesn't have a shit ton of money. (laughs) Like, no, she's got no money. Um, she also didn't have much experience in acting or, like, any prospects.
1: (laughs) She picked a great career. She
0: picked, she just went for it. Um, she would only really kind of do some small local gigs at local bars. Like, she wouldn't... What would you do at a
1: bar for acting?
0: I don't know. Like, stand-up or improv? Like, comedy? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. Um, but despite the fact that she was kind of like a local bar actress, quote-unquote, or actor, um, she didn't really let her ego whimper down like she kind of kept that confidence that quote unquote demanded everybody in the room to pay attention to her uh mm-hmm. <laughs> she also didn't take acting lessons nor did she really practice you know any singing exercises through her singing class so she it's kind of weird because she went for she wants to be an actress or an actor take singing lessons
1: you want to do musicals
0: <laughs> but then but no but get this but then doesn't like practice it So she's, like, wasting the money she did have on these classes. Now she doesn't
1: use it. And now she doesn't use it. Anyways. So by 1950,
0: Susan was struggling financially. Things were bleak as shit um, until she met Saul Lebowitz, uh, who would be known as charming, attractive, and had ties to the mob. And my notes say tires to the mob. (laughs) He had tires to the mob, okay? It was it a long day when you wrote this? It was, a little, it was a long day. Well, you'll you'll hear how long of a day it was. It, it's long. It's long. <laughs> um, so after a few short months of dating, uh, Saul and Susan married later that year in 1950, but their marriage wasn't rainbows, pissing butterflies. Let me tell you that. Uh, Saul wasn't like a big go-getter like Susan was. Like Susan was very highly motivated once again, confident. <laughs> she was, you know, kind of always on the move looking for what the next big thing was. Whereas Saul was kind of more like, eh.
1: He's he like, try to the mom. They just kind of sit around and are like, my scariness of my title. Exactly.
0: <laughs> the scariest that comes with my title. Um, and Saul didn't really support Susan's acting dreams, which was also kind of a...
1: Mm, her, her, her whole life.
0: Yeah um he had her do small mob like jobs instead so it wasn't long until they were expecting their first child aka 1951 uh their daughter chris who was mentioned previously and we'll hear a lot about chris chris we like chris okay we, we like her a lot um unfortunately Saul and susan struggled financially to take care of chris and after the birth of her um, Sol and Susan would argue more than before and would eventually split up a year later. Mm. So we're down to number two marriage number two. this is baby number two. this is baby number two. Mm. I also apologize. You will hear my cat Lee in the background. He really likes true crime, paranormal, and conspiracy theories he's as well. Needy, AF. and he's also very needy. Um, hope you like cats, <laughs> Susan. At this point, uh, obviously being a single mother with no means of income or savings, accepted supports through you know a local church, uh, she would then convert from Judaism to event. Oh, I can never pronounce this properly. Evangelica, evangel, evangelica. Evangelican? Evangelican. Am I saying it right? Well, I don't know. I'm looking at you like you have all the <laughs> answers. what you're saying. Evangelican. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Evangelican. Evangel- People listening to this just are probably one. like, just move on. A form of Christianity. Thank you. Um, with this help, she started teaching Sunday school and preaching, although she was never actually trained or ordained to do that. So she was kind of like able to fake it till she made it. And she was getting a little bit. Um, so, in 1960, when she was 35, Susan would dress Chris in reggae rag- clothes and take her to a ran- and take her to random nearby churches during their sur- Sunday services. During quiet moments in the service, Susan apparently would stand and announce that she was receiving messages from the Lord, and begin telling a quote heart-wrenching story where she would describe herself as a missionary to spread messages of the lord so chris would then start singing hymns to pull on the heartstrings which it did uh and other people in the church would give them the money from the collection plate to susan and chris at any day susan could earn a hundred bucks doing this trick and she'd go like all over like different churches and everything like that and like in the middle when everything was quiet just be like the Lord is telling me that I'm his missionary and I need to speak. And then h- have her daughter start, like, singing hymns to, like...
1: This sounds really awkward. It,
0: it's, <laughs> it's a ballsy move. That's all I gotta say. Like, you gotta
1: have balls to do this. I feel like you also, like, there's people in the church that, I get, like, believe, but, like, really believe for that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's how they got them, right? Like, mm. you know, and... You know, this also gave kind of her reputation as like a very strong, passionate Christian woman,
1: Mm.
0: you know, within this, within these multiple communities that she was kind of getting her and Chris into. Um, But despite this, despite, you know, earning maybe a hundred bucks a week at the time, life was still obviously challenging for Susan and Chris, especially financially. Uh, Susan still aspired to be an actress and would do whatever it took to get the fame, recognition and wealth to get there. So we're going to pause on Susan. We're going to start on Tony. And you're going to learn that Tony is not his real name either. Okay. Does no one
1: use their real name? No one
0: uses their real name. This is like a really shitty version of what we call catfishing today. <laughs> Except for instead of like them posting pictures online of like different people that aren't them, they're just using different names. Mm. Tony was born Bernie Lazar Hoffman on September 20th, 1934, making him a Virgo. You and your signs. Well, smarty pants, wannabe smarty pants. No tea, no shade. Uh, (laughs) And he was born in Joplin, Missouri, to a Jewish family who immigrated from Romania. Not much is really known about his childhood other than he was extroverted and outgoing and, like Susan, didn't appear interested in school. And I failed to mention that Susan... I think I briefly mentioned, but Susan Susan was raised, I believe, as Jewish. So okay. Tony and Susan got a lot in common right off the bat. Mm. Um, Tony dreamed apparently of moving to California, like Susan, to become a big star. However, at the time, he found him stu- himself stuck, um, kind of in like these little shitty small towns. So he was born in Missouri, but he actually spent a lot of time also in Helena, Montana. Mm. So Tony would marry his first wife, Joanne Dill. Uh, That is a cool last name for some reason. I don't know why. They married in 1952. Tony was 18 at the time and would later have three children with Joanne. The family would stay in Helena and would get help through their parents when things were financially rough. So it was reported that Tony loved Joanne, um, but he recognized kind of after... I think maybe they're firstborn that they wanted different things in life. Like he wanted to be this... the. And they went out to more kids. Yeah.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: <laughs> Weird distractions. Fun tip: If you have a child, or you just get married, or you just got married, and you start to realize like, hey, maybe we want different things in this relationship. Stop having babies. Stop having babies with each other. With each other. Yeah. Just abort mission.
1: <laughs> maybe that was not a choice word, but anyway, mission like the marriage. The, the oh, marriage. Marriage is the mission. <laughs>
0: Anyways, moving forward. (laughs) Um, And Joanne more so wanted, I think, overall just to be, you know, kind of like picture-perfect family. Like, stay at home. Mm. I don't know if she had any aspirations of herself. But, like, she wanted to stay in Helena. Like, she didn't want to go to California and live this, like, movie star life. She wanted to just stay at home and...
1: That ain't the life for him.
0: Yeah, no. So... Tony would sing and perform at small locations in Helena. However, obviously he wasn't really, like, superb at it. (laughs) Like, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. Um, his biggest idol at the time was Dean Martin. And so he, like, aspired to, like, act and sing and be like Dean Martin. Meanwhile, he was kind of like, eh. This guy's tapioca. Like, he's not that great, but he'll he'll do, I guess. Mm. Um... However, he wouldn't let his ego deflate by this. Like he had, this guy had a big fucking ego. He's like, I'm not I'm not letting these small town folk tell me that I my voice, is quote unquote, unimpressive. like I'm the best. I'm just as good as Dean. I'm just as good. If not, not better, but not. but not actually. Um, wanting more stardom and not wanting obviously to be held back, Tony divorced Joanne in 1955. Actually traveling to Cleveland, Ohio to do so, but not really sure why. Like, they went to Cleveland to get divorced. Weird. As one does, I guess. I don't
1: know. You know yeah, like, is that where they got married? Is that a thing in the I, States? I don't think they got
0: married there. I think they got married in Montana. That's weird. But they went to Ohio to get divorced. I don't know what y'all do down there. It just it Out sounds of the rules. Con- I don't know the rules, but it just sounds really confusing. Um, and unfortunately, this was shortly after their third child was born. It's a little bit heartbreak. So, in 1960, at age 26, Tony moved to LA in California, um, ready to take on the world. Tony would change his name at this point from Bernie to Marcus, then to Mark Hoffman, before finally choosing Tony
1: Alamo. Uh, it's, yeah I like soup. Like, just pick a name. It just,
0: I feel like he put a shit ton of names in a hat. He's
1: like, this one today.
0: Yeah, I'm going to pick one check tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick <laughs> this one. Here we go. Um, super optimistic. Tony would audition constantly for gigs um, with a little success, unfortunately. Uh, he would score some small gigs, but then he kind of found more passion booking gigs for other people.
1: So he's like a better manager.
0: Yeah, he's a better manager than he was an actual performer. Um, and he kind of got in the hang of promoting other people. But unfortunately, he was still a piece of shit and would essentially take advantage of the young, potentially somewhat naive musicians. He would essentially, like, blow smoke up their ass, saying he'd get all this money for these music- musicians to perform when in reality, when everything was said and done, he would take a bigger chunk than the performers.
1: Mm.
0: Which, I don't know how music
1: works, but I feel like that's kind of shitty. Yeah, like they're the ones making the money. Mm-hmm. They should get the bigger cut.
0: Well, and I can imagine it was kind of similar to, okay, if you do this for me, I'll give you $100, and then you do the thing, and then I give you 50 Yeah. Right? Basically. It's like, bullshit. Not here for it. Um, he would take the money he earned and would invest in random small businesses, such as a health studio, Um, Restaurants and bars. When money seemed to be getting sparse, he would sell copyrighted music without the artist's permission because he is a fucking asshat.
1: Oh dear. Don't steal people's shit. Why are you investing all this money if you, like, don't have the money to live off of? Exactly.
0: Um, Helen Hagen, unfortunately, was one of the musicians Tony seemed to have under his gross spell. She would fall madly in love with Tony, and they would eventually marry in 1961 when he was 27. Mm. So this is now marriage number two for Tony. Yeah. Uh, They both had big dreams that weren't being achieved when it came to stardom. When things shocker. weren't shocker, when things weren't skyrocketing for either, Tony began cheating on Helen, uh, starting massive arguments over absolutely nothing and pretty much gaslighting her. By the sounds of it, and Tony, like in doing this, he would start blaming her for his null success. Sounds like a shitty person. He's a shitty person. He's an asshat. At this point, Tony reported that he hated women. He felt like he was put on earth to punish them because, quote, they are so evil. I see this turning to the cult. Yep. <laughs> this didn't stop the couple from having their first child together, born in May of
1: 1964. Now got four kids. Yup. Yep. yep. <laughs> Who's pissed off? And confused. (laughs) Like, it's shitty, but, like, these children are better off without him, but, like.
0: We'll get to it. Yeah. Because kids, him and kids are not a great thing. We'll get to it, though. So, at this point um, in 1964, Tony was a VP of a chain of health studios at this time, which was his main source of income. Even though this was his reported, quote, side hustle, it blew fucking up. And it kind of began taking up most of his day-to-day. Uh, But he still wanted to be involved in the music history, or history, industry. Uh, When he could, he would display having mass amounts of wealth, renting limos, wearing expensive clothes. Even though he was making, like, all right money, he didn't have the amount of money he needed to be, like, promoting this on a regular basis. And he was promoting this to, like, coin new musicians to, like, hire him as a promoter. Mm. So he'd pull up an alum and be like, yeah, my name's Tony Alamo, and, like, I can get you in on this really exclusive deal at this bar to, like, play this gig, and, like, I'll give you $100, or whatever, how much performers made at that point in time, um, I'll give you money, yada, yada, I'll boost your shit up, you'll get, you know, you'll get notice, whatever. Helen, the smart woman she was, uh, kind of, Started noticing financially things were kind of going south because Tony was blowing all of the money up with limos and stupid shit. So she called him out on it. She's like, hey, dude, like, why are you blowing out this money on limos that A, you're not taking me in? And B, like, where are you going? Like, what are you doing?
1: Money you use for your child?
0: Yeah, and, like, we have a kid. They what they are you doing? Money. They cost a lot of money. Um, which Tony res- would respond being super defensive because he's... he's you know, can't accept the fact that he's doing anything wrong. Um, and eventually the couple would split after their child was born in 1964. So, yeah, everything, like, happens really fast. Like, within it, like, they'll have a kid. Like, with both of them, they'll have a kid. Like, Susan and Tony, sorry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And within that year, everything just goes to shit. Yes. I'm not saying children are the worst. I'm just saying, unless you're absolutely ready. You should or, have a chicken. Or... You know, you're ready, you mentally take on being an adult when it happens, because things happen, we get it, but like, eh, you know, kids aren't, what was, what episode was it? It was, I think it was the Enfield Poltergeist. You can avoid dealing with a poltergeist if you just don't have kids, because kids play with Ouija boards, and Ouija boards open doors that you can't control, and then all of a sudden you get a Lego piece thrown at your head. (laughs) I'm just saying... (laughs)
1: Learn. And children are the, are the doorway to demons. <laughs> children are the doorway to demons. They want them.
0: <laughs> they want them, they'll get them. Alright, that's a weird distraction fun fact. <laughs> um, okay, so not long after he split up from Helen, Tony was living with an expiring actress named Judy Lee Stearns. Sorry, my cat apparently doesn't like Judy. Yeah, no, he's not a fan of it. Anyways, uh Judy... Not long after they began living together, uh, became pregnant with his fifth child.
1: <laughs> so now we're at, we're at... Where's the protected sex? I'm just saying. Uh, it's the 60s.
0: Who, you know, it was... It's called pulling out method. It, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so um, at this point, the health studio, studios were taking kind of some financial blows with that and having to support his children financially. Money was tight. But Tony didn't sweat it. Because Tony's got resources up his wahoo. He would go bar hopping every single night or any night he could to find new, young, hot talent.
1: Hmm. To get a wife number, whatever.
0: Yeah. Tony's accountant was hitting Tony up on the phone daily as Tony's finances were a fucking mess.
1: Like, they were just all over the place.
0: Um, but, of course, Tony being more than just a no- neglectful father... Uh, also ignored him, Also ignored the calls from his accountant. Uh, one day in 1964, Tony was on his way to an investment firm to ask for money so he could fund a new campaign of new musicians. That obviously, excuse me, he couldn't afford on his own. Tony arrived and waited for his appointment at the firm, probably prepping to deal with having to basically grovel for money as, you know, One does when they fuck up. One does when they have constant fuck ups and, you know, just can't get it together. Um, (laughs) So, picture this picture a guy in a waiting room in a firm. Mm -hmm. Waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden, the firm, the investors come and they go to greet him. (laughs) You don't, I mean, you don't know what Tony looks like. Look, Google him. I'm not going to do the work for you. Um, So, Tony gets up, but he realizes that as soon as he tries to say something, nothing comes out. Yeah. Okay. His vision became dim, and he felt off, and he couldn't hear any sounds around him. Did make a stroke. <laughs> Tony would share the following experience, and this is a quote taken from the Cults podcast. Um, I heard a voice that came down from every direction. It was all around me. It was going through every fiber of my being. The voice said. I am the Lord, thy God, stand up on your feet and tell the people in this room that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth, or thou shalt surely die.
1: Okay, Susan. (laughs)
0: At this point, it was obvious that no one else heard the voice. It was just
1: Tony just like struggling to get his- his... He's like having like what looks like as like non-what's the word? Non-vocal or, like, non-seizure. Like, like,
0: it's, like, almost like an outer body experience yes. that no one else is experiencing. It's, like, he took the pot brownies before everyone else did. <laughs> like, somebody in the firm put out these brownies, and he took one. He's, like, oh, cool, thanks. I'll, wait, like, sit here and eat this." And then someone from the back there was, like, don't give him the brownies. Those ones are for
1: my grandma. Shit.
0: <laughs> so, Tony's, like, talking to God at this point, and...
1: We really with the people
0: were like, what the fuck? Yeah, Tony was able to say, like, hey, I don't feel good, but before he could actually finish this sentence, he was forced back into his seat by a, quote, unknown power before hearing the voice say again, <clears throat> <clears throat> Stand up on your feet and tell the people that Jesus Christ is coming back or thou shalt surely die.
1: That's aggressive.
0: Tony tried to stand again, feeling dizzy. Cause that's what pop brownies do to you. Um, at this point, everyone in the building had eyes on Tony, obvious fucking Lee. Like, like what's up with this, this guy's struggling hard. He slowly started to feel a bit calmer. Uh, he, I guess he reportedly looked around and said, I know you won't believe me, but God is telling me to tell you that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. And they're like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, the door is behind you. Yeah. Uh, the room starts. I'm sorry, the room of people stared at him, prob- probably not knowing, like, how the fuck to respond at this point. They're like, ugh.
1: Like, okay.
0: In which the loud voice came forward again to Tony and reportedly said, is that the best you can do?
1: Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Tony was scared, um... Because he was raised Jewish, right? So he's just like, he didn't know shit about Jesus. (laughs) So he did the only thing he knew how to do, which was put on a show.
1: Mm.
0: Your eyes, I don't think, can roll any farther back to your head. No. (laughs) Tony asked everyone to, quote, drop to their knees and give up their evil ways. He yelled for everyone, everyone, (laughs) everyone in the room to repent. According to Tony, he felt the presence leave the room, and the room grew brighter, and he felt better. And the investors threatened to call the police. Yeah, so Tony... like, this
1: guy's like yeah. strung out on something.
0: Yeah, um, but obviously Tony's like, no, no, like it's fine, like I'm better. And they're like, no, 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 like we're going, go. we're going the fucking gops, man. Like you're tripping balls. Like what <laughs> is happening? Um, confused, obviously. But what happened? Tony went to a nearby church for guidance. Over the course of the next week, uh, Tony went to every Christian church he knew to ask about what the Lord had kind of said to him. Um, Because he was freaked the fuck out. He's like, I don't know why I had this experience, yada yada. And to be fair, like, I don't think he was into drugs or even drinking we're just we're just having some giggles and shits other people think that's what other that's what i would have thought that's the first thought i would think that's that's not to be rude but i'd be like dude that guy's tripping hard on some gummies (laughs) because we live in a drug-infested area we live in a drug-infested area but um so tony was trying to figure out like what was going on and he was going to churches which i feel like
1: let me guess he runs into susan she has a little blah blah not there yet i'm trying to jump the gun
0: you're jumping the gun Um, but essentially he, every time he'd go to a church and be like, Hey, what does this mean? Yada, yada. They essentially, the churches would be like, can you keep these prophecies to yourself? And maybe you should start reading the Bible in 10 services. And of course this pissed Tony off, um, as he felt he probably was chosen to pass this message along. And yet no one wanted to hear it or have it repeated. Not only that, but the churches he went to were weren't preparing for the end of day, and perhaps he was the only one that knew to him think like that's what he thought he was the only he was the only one that knew the tea
1: the doomsday was coming
0: that doomsday was coming mm. um, after this, Tony left his left with the health studio uh, left musical promotions to dedicate his life to quote serving God. However, the pressures obviously got to Tony he would ask God for help to quote, take control of his destiny, in which he had another experience where he says he saw vision, blah, 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 visions of hell and heaven. So this, like, it went from like an auditory hallucination to a visual hallucination, and shit was just getting intense. Jibin. Yeah. So he left, he was like trying to leave things behind. He was trying to like ask God, like, whoa, what am I doing? Yada, yada. <sighs> And the next section of this long podcast is called When Worlds Collide, They Make a Cult. <laughs> so as gathered, both Tony and Susan were known for from their childhood and throughout To both want the same thing. They wanted money. They wanted celebrity status. They wanted publicity. They wanted the clout, as these kids would say now in 2020. Um... Another thing in common that they have where they were both were married more than once. I don't know if y'all are keeping track, but Susan would be married a total of three times. Um, and I'm kind of jumping the gun a bit, but Tony's going to get married a lot more than Susan.
1: Oh dear.
0: The pair would meet in 1964. There's a lot happening in 1964. Like a, a lot happened for both of them. Um, at a restaurant after Tony's second encounter with God, aka the visuals, visual hallucinations, Um, so he walks into this restaurant and there's Susan sitting there with Chris, her kid. Um, Tony approached Susan because he was bewildered by her beauty.
1: Yeah, whatever. (laughs)
0: Um, and he, like, introduced himself. He's like, hey, my name's Tony Alamo.
1: Really, it's Bernie, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really, it's Bernie. Um... Tony allegedly said, I promote a lot of high-end entertainers, but I haven't seen you before.
1: Stop. Which I feel like... It's like is... the worst,
0: like, trying to pick up. <laughs> I know. Um, Susan told him that she'd been an actress for years and her daughter was a singer. Both have great
1: the imagination.
0: Right? Um, Tony apparently promised Susan that he would, could make her daughter a big star, um, and he... At this point, he claimed to have promoted the Beatles and Sonny and Cher, which we both know. mm b b bullshit <laughs> um, When Tony left to go to the bathroom, Chris told her mother that she had heard about Tony Alamo from other aspiring uh, singers and actors.
1: who would stay t- the fuck away. Yeah,
0: essentially. Who, like, who told her, like, it wasn't... It was well known that he was kind of a piece of shit. And that Mm. he, like, talked big game, but, like, wasn't packing Mm. with any of his promises. Um, But Susan didn't give a shit. Like, she did not have a care in the world. She liked his confidence and style. And she felt that she could tell a shark when she saw one. Apparently. Um, And she wasn't getting that impression of Tony, apparently. She's bad at reading people. (laughs) Really bad at reading people. Uh... This part bothered me a lot, because I, okay, so I'll, I'll get to my resources, but I listened to the cults podcast, who, like, does a really good job of telling the story, yeah. but essentially, like, the way they painted it was, Susan told Chris, her daughter, might I remind you, to essentially kick rocks, because she was going to spend the rest of the evening with Tony. Read between the lines. Read. Bounce to fuck. Yeah. Bounce. <laughs> I'm about to get some. And like that's her kid. Like I think Chris was maybe fourteen at the time. And it's just like, ew. That's oh, gross. Susan's getting married at fourteen. Yeah, Um, so as I mentioned, Susan told Chris to kick rocks and not to come back to the apartment that night. And one could assume that wasn't the first time Susan did this to Chris, as Chris kind of knew exactly what she meant. Like, don't come back to the apartment means... There's a scrunchie on the door, and you know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) There's a sock on the door, there's a bra on the door, take a hint. So, Tony returned, um, as Chris would, you know, start making an excuse and leave, to walk out into the rain right? My heart's breaking. Um, As the door closed behind her, she watched her mom get closer to Tony at the bar. After Chris left, Susan turned to her new acquaintance and used one of her hustling lines. She asked him, did you know that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth again? Tony looked back at her, stunned as shit, and responded, how did you and of story. No, I'm kidding. Um, so after divorcing their respective spouses, because at this point, Tony wasn't fully divorced from his last wife.
1: That was Joanne.
0: Nope. That oh. was his first wife. I believe it was Helen. Oh, Helen. Or no, was it the other one? I don't know. I can't keep fucking
1: track. And I don't yeah. want to
0: look too far in my notes because I'm going to get lost. Um, but essentially, they both made sure they're well and divorced. Um and they started, you know, seeing each other. And then started hanging out. They started talking about the good word. The good word of God. Um, and essentially how, like, the end of date was coming. Doomsday fling. Okay, it was Judy that Tony divorced. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. I did have it in my notes. Um uh, was <clears throat> so here's a J. <laughs> so, after divorcing their respective spouses, and after Tony left his newborn son with Judy, Judy Horn, um or no, sorry, not Judy Horn, Judy, uh, Horn and Hoffman married in 1966 in a Las Vegas ceremony, le-
1: romantic.
0: legally changing their names to Tony and Susan Alamo. Mm. The newlyweds spent most of their time reading the Bible together and talking about their dreams of stardom. While he seemed happy and spiritually fulfilled, his business prospects were running dry
1: as break. Everyone knows he's a POS.
0: Well, he's a POS, and he's not paying attention to, like, what's new and what's, you know, hot in the talent
1: department. <laughs> too busy rain of bottles with Susan.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. Tony attempted to, like, kind of kickstart things, though, uh, taking on new musician clients, but struggled to make any deals as word about the incident that happened at the investment firm went around town like Wildfire. Wildfire. Because of this, Tony didn't really have much else other than investing more time in Susan's ministry scams. With this, he started helping Susan, with preaching and begun, started reaching out and recruiting kids on the street, asking them to turn over their items, quote, to be saved. This doesn't sound good. No. No. It's not. (laughs) Around this time was the end of the hippie movement and people seemed to be struggling for purpose. There was a reported increase in homelessness and drug use around the time as well. Susan and Tony would bring the kids in offering meals and shelter as well as converting them to their belief that the world was coming to an end and that Jesus Christ was coming back to earth. Making a comeback.
1: I feel like their like, situation just like happened to fall right at the right decade exactly right moment in time exactly
0: exactly um so <laughs> the shelter and meals though that tony and susan were offering weren't actually free oh. and i feel like when i say kids i mean also adults too i feel like it was like a r- wide range yeah a wide range of people um any money that any of these people had they'd give to tony and susan So, like, a lot of them were on, like, disability, like, a pension. They were getting, like, kind of welfare, whatever. They would give all their money to Tony and Susan with promise that they would be protected once the end of time comes. That they'd be saved. Oh, dear. Yeah. But despite getting you know, scamming these people out of the money, um, money was still a problem for the Alamos. Uh, they decided to go to Las Vegas to recruit there, all while demanding the members in Los Angeles uh, to get jobs and mail their income to the couple while they were away. They These people had, like, Tony and Susan had these people wrapped around their fucking
1: finger. How do they still have money problems? They get all this money from people. I don't know.
0: See, in, when I say money problems, I feel like, to them they were having money problems but we're gonna find out later that they liked as soon as they had money they blew it hmm. which that's probably why uh so chris susan's daughter stayed back in california to maintain the cult there however it didn't take long before she obviously started struggling with it because she's not she's not a cult leader no, you she's know a kid Following, um, following this, she actually left and went to Vegas with her mom and new stepdad.
1: Oh, somebody said she left somewhere else so she could get out.
0: Yeah. Aww. While in Vegas, Tony seemed to make a deal with a new singer named RuVon, um, not RuPaul, RuVon. During this time of seemingly success in Vegas, Tony began acting strange when Chris was around and things escalated. I'm giving you the look.
1: I see the look.
0: Trigger warning. Mm. Yeah, I know.
1: It <sighs> gets all rapey. It gets all rapey.
0: It was reported that one day when Susan was out of their Vegas apartment, 32-year-old Tony sexually assaulted Chris, who was 16 at the time. Tony, or sorry, Susan walked in during the assault, and instead of believing her daughter, she believed that Chris was at fault and that she was, quote, after her man.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Nope. Chris left immediately, and the relationship with her mother was in fucking shambles. I was like, bye, bitch, and leave. Well, like, and it's kind of, it's like, it's that classic tale of the women. The woman blames the other woman mm-hmm. when you should be blaming the guy. The guy that fucking cheated. Right? Like, it's. Like, is that
1: tunnel vision of, like, this is my man. He would never do this. Well, yes, he would.
0: Yes, he would. And he did. And with your daughter. And that's disgusting. Because she did not provide consent. (sighs) So, jump to 1967. The Alamos returned to L.A. with more cash from their deal with Ruvan.
1: Two or three of them?
0: uh, Two of them. So, Tony and Susan. So, Chris left. I don't. I feel like she went back to L.A. on her own. But Mm -hmm. Susan and Tony came back a little bit after she fled. Las Vegas. So they moved back to LA. They had this money from Ruvon. Um, The money that they did have was for the promotion or to promote Ruvon. Um, Apologize again. My cat is just not happy with this story whatsoever. Instead of using the money to promote Ruvon, they decided that they wanted to spend the money on themselves and they pissed away the money on jewelry, clothing, literally any kind of materialistic thing that they really probably didn't need, but felt like they did. Shortly after returning back to LA, uh, Susan reached out to Chris to offer to have lunch. Chris was obviously kind of like, you kind of accused me of trying to steal your new husband, slash he raped me if you couldn't remember. Yeah, and not only that, but like, what the fuck? Like, you picked me over him. But at the time, Chris was also financially struggling. Like, mm. she was having a hard time making ends meet. So she's like, okay, it's a free meal. Maybe mom and I can rekindle things, whatever. They, they get together for lunch, but um, the invite, when it was offered, didn't mention that Tony was coming. And of course, because Susan's shady, Tony was there. So the three of them were, you know, meeting up together for lunch and Chris would report later that they came to lunch, like dress, like Susan and Tony dressed to the nines. Like they were like wearing all this like expensive clothing, this, that, and the other. And Chris was like, like, who'd you kill to get this shit? Like, what are you doing? Um, and essentially that's where we find out that Susan told Chris that she and Tony had scammed groove on about lying about the sorry through lying about the cost of the bookings while only paying the singer a small fraction of what they actually received so once again it's another you know if you do this gig i'm gonna pay you a 100 bucks but then the gig happens like you know what with all the expenses like we're only gonna give you this Mm. or you know they promised a 100 bucks meanwhile susan and tony got like 1500 do you know what i mean yeah So (laughs) Susan told Chris she forgave her for the incident. Right? And due to the financial hardship, Chris moved back in with Tony and Susan at the time. Girl, why? So Susan was like, you know, I forgive you for sleeping with my husband, and I'd really like for you to move back in with
1: us. And I feel like if that happened to me and that was my mother, I'd be like, I would rather struggle than move in with you. And I feel like, well, that's the thing too. Like, I'd be homeless. It's it's hard because I feel
0: like Susan gaslighted and manipulated the shit out of Chris for so many years and like used her to her financial advantage. That
1: yeah, was probably just like she's
0: brainwashed. brainwashed. Well, brainwashed, and it was super challenging for her probably to make it on her own with you know her mom kind of having like the master plan of how to scam all these people from the churches and what have you right it didn't take long for Ruvon to figure out the scam and it didn't take long for the Almos to piss away the money obviously the Alamos turned back to their ministry to try and restart their income because Ruvon essentially said kick rocks you scammers and they're like well that was like our main source of income I guess now we're gonna have to promote the ministry aspect things more. While they were gone in Las Vegas, though, some of the members from the L.A. part of things departed, so their numbers had dwindled. Tony and Susan became aggressive in recruiting new people, including Chris's friends and Chris's boyfriend, Ed. It was reported by Chris later on that Susan was so convincing that she had Ed, quote, praying for forgiveness in less, sorry, in under 10 minutes. Someone's
1: fucking naive.
0: Well, I think Maybe a bit of famous, but also, like, that's kind of how convincing and confident Susan was.
1: I guess,
0: no, her confident beauty. Her confident beauty. <laughs> The Alamos would hold service twice a day in their apartment. Uh, Tony would play hymns before Susan would do an hour long preach session, which sounds like too long. Way too long. Um, and it mostly talked about like the Armageddon and like end of day, yada yada. Susan reportedly shared that people needed to quote, to be saved by drugs and mainstream religions, and that these saved individuals would be saved by the raptures, and Susan would then go on to threaten new potential uh, people. That if they didn't abide by what Tony and Susan were saying, they'd go to hell. (laughs) I mean, in retrospect, probably better than what's about to happen. After the service, the Alamos would essentially offer anything they could find in a dumpster for food. There's a way to hook hungry people in. Like, they would dumpster dive before people came over and be like, Oh, score, I found one croissant, and then offer it for dinner. Yum! Yum! Yum. Love me some dumpster croissants! AF. Oh god, now I wanna throw up.
1: Um, I want a croissant now.
0: I actually want a croissant. <laughs> we might need to make a snack trip after this. Um, Susan further would try and hook people by driving their fears up, obviously, because how do you convince people to do something? You fucking make them. Scare them to shitless. You scare them shitless. She would start by pointing out the increasing pollution around Los Angeles uh, as one aspect of the end of day is coming because there's so much pollution. And not only that, but the threat of earthquakes. And use the current war in Vietnam as a way to be like, "Hey, the world's ending. The world's ending. People in Nam are dying, and there's earthquakes, which is kind of common in Los Angeles. I feel like, Mm. and always has been because it's just the area. I'm no scientist, but I hear things.
1: What's that like, the fault fault line or something? I don't know. I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) I watch all those movies about that, and I'm like, sure. That's that's what causes it. I watched, Tanner and
0: I watched Dante's Peak a couple weekends ago. Oh, gosh. It's... It's, okay, Pierce Brosnan, though. Like, I just have to say. Anyways, back to the cults, because we still got a lot to dive into. So, in the cult podcast, it was quoted, 30 minutes with Susan could turn the most carefree kid into a worried bundle of nerves, willing to pay any price for safety and salvation. What a charmer. (laughs) Tony, on the other hand, presented himself as a humble man touched by God, and taking from the cults podcast, again, Tony, um, told the street kids they were chosen, sorry, they were the chosen ones here to put the world on a righteous path. So, like, Susan would scare the shit out of people where Tony would be like, but you're the chosen ones. Like, you're, you're gonna make this different, you're gonna make things righteous, as long as you stick with us,
1: like, you're good. I was just have, like, a thought, of, like, not a thought, like, just a mood towards this, because, like, not that, like, nothing against people that believe, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm atheist. I don't believe in anything. So, right. so it's like, now it's, like, I, I don't understand.
0: I, don't I just understand. i feel like it was a different time too right like now we're so much more well aware of cults whereas back in the 60s like fucking well we'll get we'll get to it. i'm not trying to spoil the future but like there's an infamous cult mentioned in this one that was going around in the 60s especially in california that like really scared the crap out of people and this is kind of and this isn't kind of more so where we hear more about cults, but like I think Roketario was back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm. But like now it's just like anytime someone's like, oh, do you want to join this group? It's like, Mm-mm. no, it sounds like a cult. Back then they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like I'm looking for salvation.
1: Mm. Right? Like but it's like, here's my period scheme. It's my cult. <laughs> here's
0: my MLM. <laughs> if you spend $80 now, you could be a boss babe by the end of the week. Fake news. Fake news. In 1968, they had the couple had approximately 50 followers, and there appeared to be more strict scheduling put into place with the followers, or for the followers. Uh, micromanaging began happening with the followers to the point where they were in fear of doing anything as it may lead to some form of consequence, or their work for salvation was thrown out the window. Micromanaging, for example, included... Uh, asking the members to change their appearance or change their taste in music. No reason, just because. Uh, whenever a member did quote-unquote disobey, the Almos uh, would severely bully the member, like the disobeyed, mm-hmm. disobeying members, with threats of hell. If that wasn't bad enough... The Almos had a set strict schedule, as mentioned, for receiving the followers' money. So kind of like rent, if if the followers didn't give their money to the Alamos on a certain day, so, like, the first of the month, they would be fucking shamed. Like, just shamed. For shame. Just whatever. Shame. Shame. They also scheduled members eight slept, they even would control how much toilet paper and electricity they would use. I would not last long, because I... Be out. I'd be out and I got IBS, so, like... <laughs>
1: Like, I need a whole roll of TP. I
0: sometimes might need a whole roll or sometimes I just need to sit there for a bit to work things out. They supply of probiotics. Yeah. They probably limit the probiotics, which I would not do well with. <laughs> the apartment was obviously growing smaller and smaller with more members. Uh, so the Alamos moved their cult to a house in Hollywood six blocks from the famous Sunset Strip. Even in the new house, though, the followers slept on the floor while Tony and Susan got their own bedroom. Of course. Uh, by 1969, the cult had grown to 100 followers, and the Alamos were making almost 10 grand a month from the followers at that point.
1: Jeez, They live yeah. in a mansion that holds all these people? Eh,
0: yeah, not really. Um, in Later in 1969, they filed documentation to legally make the Alamo Christian Foundation a real thing. It would be noted that throughout all of this... Tony and Susan made sure that their followers knew that they were only second to God, i.e. the followers were beneath tony and susan who were directly beneath god and the followers would refer to them as elder tony and elder susan which if you ever call me elder alex i will not be happy about it ironically enough the cult would actually profit off the manson family murders in 1969. ooh famous mention of another cult within another cult story oh my gosh it's like an easter egg just kidding um, we don't have the Manson murder scheduled anytime soon. I don't know if I want to cover it at all, to be honest. It's just so overdone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why the Alamo Christian Foundation would profit off the Manson family murder, or the Manson cult, whatever you want to call them. I forgot the other. Helter Skelter. The Alamos would buy a bus or reportedly painted doomsday messages on the side of the bus saying... Things such as, the world is coming to an end. Are you ready to meet God? You you can't see it by just a dramatic, like, neck roll to look at Christy. Are you ready to meet God?
1: And I rolled my eyes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On weekends, the Alamos would shove their young followers into the bus and camp out in different church parking lots where they would apparently hold homemade signs and aggressively pitch the foundation to passers-by on their way into the churches. From the cult podcast, in the words of Susan's daughter, Chris... Uh, Chris apparently said they delivered the message that about look how look at this we brought this bunch we brought this bunch of crazy kids um, you know I'm keeping them from becoming Charles Manson and you know keeping them from cutting your throat I brought them to the Lord. <sighs>
1: Which is just a statement.
0: Uh, statement and a, a half. Statement of a half. So like, essentially, that's how they profit. They're like, oh my gosh, like you see that crazy cult that was following that Charles guy. We got these kids. They won't turn out like that. Like they're they're you know they're just trying to pass on the Lord's message and you know X Y Z. And it's just like uh, bye bye. Parents and people they came in contact with didn't necessarily join the cult right then and there, but they sure as shit donated to the Alamos. So this was another prophet. Prophet, baby. Hence, The new prophet. Um, Jumping to 1970, the cult had 200 members, which seemed to be growing too large for even the new house they bought and too many to keep track of. So, Tony and Susan decided it was time to buy a larger tract of land, about an hour from Los Angeles to Sagas, California. It was super important Uh, for them that all the followers lived under one roof and also to kind of protect them from the outside world. Because at this point, obviously, the group is getting, the cult's getting bigger and people on the outside looking in are like, what? the fuck is going on? (laughs) What is going on? Apparently at their former Los Angeles home, neighbors started to complain in recent months about the noise and quote, massive numbers of hippies wandering around (laughs) the neighborhood. The 60s must have been so fun to look at because anyone that essentially like didn't brush their hair was a hippie. a hippie. Now? We both would be considered hippies because neither of us want to brush our hair. Unwilling to shower or put on makeup. Presentable. Presentable because it's a pandemic. And-, and there's no way I'm doing my hair or makeup right now. Uh, Saugus, in, and also I, pro- I apologize for pronouncing this town ro- name wrong. Um, in comparison to LA though, was a lot smaller with a smaller population Um, The Alamos purchased approximately over 160 acres of land that was mostly undeveloped but had a former restaurant building. Obviously didn't take long for the Alamos, a.k.a. the cult members, because the Alamos didn't left a fucking finger, um, to put their, you know. People to work. People to work. It's kind of like Roketario. Like, he just kind of sat back and was like, yeah, let's do this. Hence, you know. Do it. You know, all the members at that point were like, okay, and, you know, started doing everything. He's like, oh, you guys look like a bunch of ants working on a hill. Ant Hill kids. Anyways, the former restaurant became a church. Uh, the land was worked out and followers even built a house for Susan and Tony with a room for Chris as well because she's still living with them at this point. Um, and this was completed by 1971. Laborers were paid were never paid with money for their work even after farming the land but were expected to pay the alamos and would be fed and able to live on the property to further enjoy quote their spiritual enrichment essentially at this point they're still bringing new people in so new members at this or new members uh would be start would be referred to as quote baby christians Uh, (laughs) okay (laughs) Um, the rules obviously became more strict. So we've got new titles, we've got new rules, lots of isolation, lots of pressure to join. Um, Essentially, it was just, it was becoming... A thriving cult. (laughs) A thriving cult. And with that, we move to the next section, labeled Chris Says Goodbye in capital letters. Well, finally, that's good. we still got a long way to go. But anyways, the cult was accepting new members on the regular. Speaking of new members, Chris had a daughter in 1970. Chris knew that if she raised her daughter on the property, that she would be easily susceptible to the brainwashing of the
1: cult. Or also get raped by her.
0: Or also get raped by Tony, because Tony's gross. So in 1971, Chris told Susan that she wanted to leave, which Susan demanded Chris to stay in, stay and help, and even threatening her by saying, don't make me kill you. Like, stay or else I'm going to fucking kill you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Baffled as hell, Chris called a cab to leave with her daughter. After she hung up, apparently she was bombarded by Tony, Susan, and approximately seven of other members, and they started to beat her up. Susan wasn't lying. Um, apparently, Susan told Chris that they were going to beat her into a coma and then tell police that she had fallen. The cab driver... That Chris had called earlier actually arrived at the house, uh, while this was all going down and began, like, knocking on the doors and not getting a response. So, like, kind of being like, where the fuck's my, you know, Mm -hmm. person, um, the cab driver actually started looking around and saw, like, looked through the window and saw that Chris and the baby were being abused. Because the baby was also, obviously, around and not being treated nicely. Mm -hmm. Um... The cab driver called police. Uh, when police came, Susan said that Chris was quote a drug addict who was trying to res- who they were trying to restrain. Police reportedly believe Susan at first, but based on Chris's injuries, things didn't seem right. They're like,
1: I, I don't know, like yeah, just because of that, you're gonna beat the shit out of her.
0: Exactly. Um, <laughs> fucking police. So instead of taking Chris with them, or you know finishing the situation police just left to another emergency and refused to take chris so chris tried to leave however the members apparently held her down you should just snuck away quietly exactly chris was then struck with a telephone at the back of the head leaving her unconscious and when of course when she woke up she was in her room her and her daughter was not with her and she was bleeding from her head and she was left alone in the home Chris luckily though, was able to call police and the same officers came out. They believe, believed Chris right off the bat um, and took her to the police station. What?
1: like there's a baby though. I
0: know so one yeah, so they took her to the police station. Susan and Tony told the police uh, a heap ton of lies. So once again saying that Chris was on drugs and then she was making the shit up, Susan actually called Chris at the police station and threatened Chris saying if Chris filed or said anything, she would never see her daughter again. So, at this point, Chris is like, I can't file anything. I like, can't do anything. Like, I'm screwed. Like, this is a 20- catch-22. Like, if I go back, I'm at risk of putting my daughter through more of this hell hole. But if I report anything, I might never see my daughter again. Slash, who knows what they're capable of doing at this like, point. killer. Exactly. So, Chris doesn't file a report, and she goes home.
1: <sighs> Ugh.
0: Tony and Susan forced Chris to promise that she wouldn't say anything about the cult or she would face, quote, legal action and would never see their daughter again. Chris, swore she wouldn't end, apparently satisfied, Tony and Susan gave Chris her daughter back. Chris took a cab to a friend's house, and that would be the last time Chris would ever see the Alamos ever again. Or at least Susan. With her kid. With her kid. Okay, thank God. Yeah, so the kid, yeah, that's fine. The next section, Alamo and all that money. I, I gave these, like, really fun, like quirky names, quirky titles just to ease the mood because everything else is just fucking weird as I'm spitting. Everything is just fucking weird. Um, so as you might recall, Susan and Tony controlled everything the members did, essentially to make them mentally weak. Um, it was even to the point where now the evening services would become more intense, threatening members that if they leave, they would suffer eternal damnation or death. I like I sound like Ozzy Osbourne for a second there. Eater? I can't do no. it. Never mind. JK. Um, the land they lived on was fenced in and then patrolled around the clock. Uh posh, 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 I'm starting to lose my ability to talk. Punishments for any rule breaking reportedly included, quote, separation.
1: Punishments. I know. like, don't think what trying to say. It was a punishment. I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: punishments <laughs> Punishments included, but not limited to separation from family or children, isolation from other members, hard working conditions, beatings or excommunications from the church. <clears throat> oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I know it's not like rogue where he was like cutting off people's arms and
1: doing gross them up and yeah. gross
0: things. So in 1972, the cult saw approximately 800 followers. Well, bam. Mm-hmm. On the property, things were growing rapidly. They had their own stores and even their own gas station, making it almost unnecessary for members, unless approved, to leave the property. So, like, they were making a little town within a cult, within, like, on a
1: property. Why would you need gas for it? Where are you going? I, that's the store. Exactly.
0: Walk. Oh my gosh. And, like, a restaurant would be like, hey, Bill, like... We'll hang
1: on tables and have lunch together. Yeah.
0: But, like, they'd be on shifts to eat, too, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: Sector A can go have Eggs Benedict at the restaurant, while Sector B will have to have ham's grilled cheese sandwiches. Those are both delicious. I know, I'm really hungry again. Uh, we just ate before this, too, and I'm super bloated, but I'm like, I could go for Eggs Benedict. Anytime. Any day. I'm salivating. Anyways, Susan and Tony though would make trips across the U.S. to other churches to spread their word. So like the cult members weren't able to leave unless Susan and Tony approved it. But they were just going everywhere. Like they were going cross country promoting, trying to you know get more people in. Um, in the same year, Tony made a deal with California farmers for cheap labor. He would ship his followers to Bakersfield. For labor, obviously, Um, and those followers, their entire paychecks once again went straight to the church. So, like, make a lot of money. They're making a shit ton of money. For those who didn't give up any money they received, they would be quote sent to hell.
1: Okay, that's all.
0: Jumping to 1973, there was approximately 1,000 members total. Uh, Things even bloomed, and Susan and Tony would broadcast their sermons on Sunday morning TV, which I saw a bit of it.
1: Yikes. Uh, It
0: was something out of the 70s, I'll tell you that for free. Mm. What an awful time. I'm so glad I was born in the 90s. Anyways, (laughs) this brought... And a shit ton of cash, limos, diamonds, plastic surgery, new homes in New York, Tennessee, and Florida. In 1979, the cult grew to approximately 2,000 followers. It's weird just riding up these charts. That was aggressive jump. They developed a second compound near Alma, Arkansas, where Susan grew up. Uh, This was a strategic move as the government was starting to keep tabs on the Alamos. The property and land was actually across the road from Susan's childhood home. Alma. The followers at this compound were essentially responsible for building everything up without really much help from Tony and Susan. They were responsible for building Tony and Susan's sleeping quarters, shops, restaurants, you name it. Um, but no proper living areas for the followers. <laughs> Like build everything except for a place so, for you to. Where live. are these people staying? Kind of wherever they landed, I guess. Like tenting it or what? I think so. Like it wasn't. It, as I mentioned, like I got a lot of the information from the Cults podcast, mm-hmm. which like highly recommend you listen to it. I feel like the members like they just stayed where they could lay. You know what I mean? Like if they could lay on the floor in the kitchen, cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's like in like Tent City, but okay. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Um, things would actually halt, though, in 1976, when the U.S. Department of Labor sued the Alamo Christian Foundation for poorly not following the Fair Standards Act. You may be wondering, how did Susan and Tony handle this? Allegedly, by hiring a shit ton of lawyers and dragging the case out. While this was happening, the business on the property were absolutely blooming. Uh, the restaurant would have performances by Dolly Parton and Tammy Winnett, and even former President Bill Clinton made a visit.
1: And No one th- thought anything was weird. Okay.
0: so okay, and I know this is gonna make the podcast even longer, but we're already here for a good time. Um, so it's kind of funny that Bill Clinton's mentioned this because I just finished watching uh, Jeffrey Epstein, F- filthy rich, on Netflix, mm. and Bill Clinton is just at the worst place at the worst time because there's, there's like, the worst
1: associations. W- he has
0: the worst associations. Like, dude, cut ties. Don't don't have photographs. Like, don't, just don't hang out with shitty people. Not that I stand for Bill Clinton. I really don't know him other than his scandals and whatever. Mm. But, like, Ugh. not a good look, Bill. Bad place. Bad place, bad Long time. time. <laughs> You say bad place all the time?
1: (laughs) No, it shouldn't be bad place all the time. Sure.
0: Don't leave your house. (laughs) Um, Back to their TV appearances. Apparently, Susan and Tony would aggressively beg for donations and would even arrange canned food drives outside of this um, where they would beg supermarkets and corporations for material donations. Canned goods that weren't used to feed the followers were delabeled in place with new... Alamo Christian Foundation logos and were resold to independent stores for profit, typically with botched expiry dates. Branding! Branding! Uh, in 1976, the Alamos made a whopping 1.3 million on reselling donations alone. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the Alamo cult started also making profits on decorating denim jackets.
1: <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs>
0: It's just so random. And, like, it was kind of, like, briefly mentioned, like, oh, yeah, they made denim jackets. <laughs> like, what? In <Yeah>, the <laughs> of them. Stop. What happened? Um, many celebrities were seen wearing them, including Michael Jackson, who wore a modified leather Alamo jacket on the cover of his album, Bad. That's unfortunate. Yeah, retrospect is 2020, eh? <laughs> uh, By 1981, the number of followers grew to approximately 3,000 people. How you doing? We still got a lot to go. There's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. In the next section, shit is going down. Let's
1: get, <laughs> let's get to it.
0: Let's get to it. Because I'm getting distracted, Almighty. And at some point in the '70s, unfortunately, Susan was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. However, she kept it like she kept it pretty hush hush. Like she didn't even tell Tony at first. Um, shockingly. Susan denied treatment and I'm laughing just because it's because I'm uncomfortable. Um, She denied treatment as she felt, quote, God would take care of me. By the time she did agree to treatment, the cancer had reportedly spread. Just shy for 57th birthday, Susan, Susan's health was declining and she was receiving treatment in Oklahoma. Her finally, her, her finally, her final words to Tony apparently were, quote, when I die, disband the church, you'll wreck it all. That was aggressive. Yep. Susan passed away in April 18, 18, 18, e2 at the City of Faith Hospital. <clears throat> In the reporter believed that she would, quote, rise from the dead and assume her rightful place at the head of the church. Her embalmed body was kept on display for six months at the Arkansas compound, where members were forced to do a non-stop, 24-7 visual for Susan. Um, when Susan obviously didn't come back to life, Tony blamed, uh, you know, the members. Uh well, he blamed the members and society and the media as they, quote, weren't right with God. After six, after, you know, the six-month vigil, uh, Tony ordered a marble mausoleum for her coffin, noting to his members that she would come back as long as the members, quote, kept their faith. This would be the end of the Alamo Christian Foundation Corporation. Dun, dun, dun. And replaced with Music Square Church. What the fuck? <laughs> an attempt to, A, remove himself from Susan's work, and by him I mean Tony, and B, tax exemptions. We're excited for tax exemptions. Just kidding. <clears throat> Pay your taxes. Do your taxes. Um, in 1984, Tony decided it was time to move on from Susan, and he met Bergetta.
1: I hope she picks a new name.
0: <laughs> uh, um, excuse me. Brigetta was a clothing store owner, owner, who he married that year, but things weren't loving and carefree for the newlyweds. Apparently no one could live up to Susan's standards, and Tony would take his frustrations out on Birgetta and with the members watching at all times. Also, I apologize if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I could have sworn I looked it up and it was Brigetta. It's B U R G E T T A. Mm. Brigetta. Okay. Brigetta about it. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Tony even forced Brigetta to have plastic surgery in order to, quote, look more like Susan. Needless to say, Brigetta divorced Tony in 1985, and as she walked out, she said, Boy, bye. Shocker. Yeah. Because. You fucked. (laughs) You fucked. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court also nailed the church that same year uh, with a guilty verdict of the previous labor charge, and the church reportedly owed at least fifty million in back wages to Ooh. the members. The tax exemption piece for the new ch- for the new church was also stripped. They're like, <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're paying your taxes. Um, but of course, Tony reportedly still wouldn't pay his followers even. Though he was he just had to. Yeah. <laughs> if you thought Tony was done at the altar, you'd be wrong. He would marry a fellow member named Elizabeth. Elizabeth's ex husband, who is not an Alamo member, noticed a huge shift in their two children. Uh, they apparently hated going back to combo combo compound i'm thinking of food uh so elizabeth's husband sued for custody and won not long after elizabeth filed for divorce in 1987 uh tony didn't stop on the marriage train though toot toot uh married another member named diana they married a few months after his divorce from elizabeth and in case you're wondering wow this is really weird was the kids on the compound you bet there was. There was a lot of kids. Um, and unf- a lot of people. A lot of people. And unfortunately, the kids would be punished and treated absolutely poorly, even if they were, if they were caught, quote, out of line. Including, you know, being forced to fast their meals, uh, whippings, private and public beatings. At one point, Tony was actually charged with criminal charges uh, after one of the boys was publicly beaten with a paddle so bad that his rear end lead for days. Oh. I know. Uh, the father, a former member, was successful in removing his son from the compound. Um, charging Tony was one thing, but finding him was another. Because don't forget, like, he's got, like, there's, I think, two compounds and, like, a shit ton of properties, like, mm. all over the country. Um, he did a
1: lot of investing.
0: He did a lot of investing, and he did a lot of moving around. So during this point, uh, Tony was hiding in the Las Vegas, or, sorry, in the Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas, he was in the Las Vegas. He was hiding in Las Vegas and busy getting married to another woman by the name of Sharon. Lucky number Sharon. I, <clears> saying, <throat> I don't know what number it is now. <laughs> the police may have had difficulty finding Tony, but the IRS wasn't letting him go. They filed a report, of eight million worth of liens on Tony's properties, um, and would actually confiscate film and raided a warehouse where they confiscated the film. Sorry, my notes were a little backwards <clears> there. <throat> Tony would lie to his members, saying that the devil had something to do with it. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? Uh, and the IRS were trying to take them down for essentially doing, quote, God's work. Uh, things were heating up, though, and Tony had the compound in Arkansas evacuated, even giving their, his inner circle instructions to have Susan's coffin move to a storage unit, which they did. Getting a bit stir-crazy in Las Vegas, uh, Tony and his inner circle would go to Tampa. Oh, my gosh. He would go to Tampa. Sorry. Huge stutter there. Um, however, he was not susceptible to the, quote, Florida man flu, which I just I didn't make up. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, he essentially became batshit crazy, Ooh. which, like, no tea to Florida, but, like, y'all do some weird shit down there. We see you. We're picking up what you're doing. It's weird. We like it. But like, y'all okay? (laughs) Um, Tony was becoming reportedly irrational. He issued a public statement threatening to kidnap a justice, (laughs) which you don't do. Um, And this justice apparently uh, found him guilty of the labor charges. Instead, he would, quote, bring him to Alamo court before God. He's like, you can't sue me. I'll sue you in my court in front of God. And it's like... My make-believe court. Oh, you should not. Well, and at this point, too, he was trying to hide. Yeah. So he was that irrational that he said, fuck it. I'm going to go on TV and, like, threaten... Follow the justice. Yeah, threaten to kidnap a justice and then put him in a, other, like a separate court to, quote, sue him. Tony, man... Rookie. Rookie. Rookie mistake. Uh, this probably had the opposite effect of what Tony was hoping to, as police obviously stepped up their game and would eventually follow one of Tony's members directly to Tony. Tony. Excuse me. In July of 1991, yes, things are still happening, and it's the 90s now, Tony was apprehended and set to prison for invading the IRS. Tony's lawyers were apparently able to get him out with just fines. However, the previous criminal charges from assaulting the boy were still pending. The court found Tony guilty of child abuse in 1992, which came with only two years of jail. That's it?
1: Yeah. I literally put eye roll beside it because I'm like two, only two, two fucking years. For- so you don't pay millions in fines or millions before taxes and you get fines, a couple fines. And now you get two years for abuse. Of a child, justice is
0: fucked. Mm-hmm. Anyways, however, Tony, like Ten Bundy, can't just go to jail. He evaded California authorities, which was allowed by a warrant, which was followed by a warrant. Sorry, it wasn't allowed by a warrant; it was followed by a warrant. So essentially, he didn't jump out of like a li- like a court library like Bundy did, but he just was like, "Now nah, I'm not going to court, or I'm not going to jail," and just left. Stupid, Ben. <laughs> Stupid. The IRS wasn't done with Tony either, as they filed charges against Tony as he failed to file his income taxes. Do your taxes!
1: They will find you.
0: His lawyers used a reported previous tactic of delaying the shit of everything, apparently. However, Tony would be found guilty of tax fraud in 1994 with a prime year. And, sentenced, and sentenced to six years in prison. So he
1: was found guilty of tax tra- uh, fraud, tax fraud, and went to jail longer than when he got charged for child abuse. Exactly. Oh, God. I hate people.
0: The state of California dropped any outstanding charges at this point since Tony was already serving jail time. However, Tony told his followers it was dropped because he was innocent. <laughs> you sir are a liar. Chris filed a lawsuit at this point to get her mother's remains way the hell away from Tony. In 1995, she actually won the suit, but Tony refused to disclose the location of Susan's body. Um, While in jail, Tony still ruled the cult. His newish wife, Sharon, and some of his, quote, trusted followers, uh, moved even closer to the jail so that they could be near him, even moving when he got transferred. So anytime he moved from jail to jail, they would just follow him.
1: Well, they're pretty dedicated. They're dedicated.
0: Um, Tony got super gross in prison. Shocking. And by this, this meant that uh, Sharon, who wasn't also like, how do I put this? Sharon, I didn't, there's not much about her, but like she did things that I'm not really here for and I feel like she's also kind of guilty in some gross stuff. Mm. I don't know if she ever served time. Um or I don't recall if she ever served time. But Sharon would bring him photos of the woman at the from the compound. Tony would pick which ones he wanted to come to jail, and then they would go the girls would be then sent to him to be seen in jail. Are you picking up where I'm going with what my hand gesture is doing? Is he
1: getting conjugal visits? With a random woman? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who yeah. runs this jail. Right? He
0: didn't uh, trigger warning um trigger warning, bold capital capital letter italicized, underlined. Um while Tony well, sorry, while visiting Tony in jail, the girls would stand in a circle with Tony in the middle. And Tony would go around the circle fondling all the women. Is that more than one woman in his visits? Yeah, because he took on several more wives, not legally, just creepily. Um, During this time, two of the seven were underaged. Oh, only seven? Okay. Two of the seven were underaged. It still doesn't make it better. No. It's just gross. Uh, In 1998, after four years where he had done six years of a sentence, Tony was released. He agreed to finally bury Susan's body in Oklahoma away from... From where Chris planned plot was. Apparently at this point Chris was just like. You know what fuck it. I don't care as long as she's buried. She's not with you. Mm. Because Chris and her family. Excuse me had a plot already set up for her. But Tony was just being a jackass about it. Um, A new compound was created. In a place called Falk. And it's spelled F-O-U-K-E. Don't at me. I googled it because I'm like there's no way. Uh, Like I did the Google translator, And it's like fuck. And I was like, okay, if I am pronouncing it wrong,
1: whatever. I'm
0: sorry. I'm sure it's lovely. Once again, churches were built, or church was built, warehouses, housing options, not for followers, but for Tony, of course, and his many wives. Apparently, 200 followers were sent to live here and take care of Tony and all of his gross needs. Tony began fighting for the right for polygamy to be legalized at this point in Arkansas, since he now had a report eight wives... Sharon, plus six other adult women, plus two underage girls, he claimed that the Bible apparently supported this and taking female children as bribes once they started menstruating. If you're not gagging now, if you weren't sorry, if you weren't gagging before, you're gagging now, because gross. Anyways, from 1998 to 2001 uh tony would take an additional four underage brides and they would be as young as 10 years old apparently oh apparently yeah reportedly <sighs> his quote brides were to be offering 24 care services working in shifts um so most of these women believe tony was some sort of prophet but obviously feared him since he was an abusive piece of shit but, Tony would begin to have other members abuse his wives, or other women, um, for him to, quote, keep his hands clean. That Dude, piece of shit. like, your hands are already so fucking filthy, I don't know if you can, like, like, you might as well chop them off at this point. Like, there's no- anyways. One of Tony's punishments was called the House of Scorn, where he would isolate the women and make them fast, like, he would just not feed them. He would have four of the- his adult wives partake in abusing the younger wives, with a wooden paddle from time to time as well. Apparently, a woman by the name of Brenda found out every manipulative, awful thing Tony was doing, and in 2001, she was able to escape and go to Arkansas police. Can we just give, like...
1: Thank God somebody did.
0: Thank you, Brenda. Thank you. Someone gave
1: to their senses.
0: However, the police weren't as ready to jump and arrest Tony since they knew he had a gang of lawyers, so unfortunately, years went by. But, thanks to the internet, um, ex-followers began connecting online about their experiences with Toonie. <laughs> Tony and Susan Alamo. Finally, in 2008, yes, that's right, 2008, the FBI had enough evidence and raided the, the FOC folk <laughs> compound while Tony was gone. Police in California swarmed the compound there. Just missing Tony by minutes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it took five days for t- Tony to be tracked down in Arizona. What are you doing there? Oh, God, who knows? Probably just being disgusting. And on September 25th, 2008, Tony was taken to custody at the ripe age of 74. I don't know why I said ripe age. I was going to say. I don't know. It's just said sound gross. <laughs> I know. At the gross age of 74. <laughs> I'm not ageist, but like... He's just gross. Anyways, uh, the FBI had evidence, but not as much as they hoped. Why not? I don't know. Uh, So they had to have the underage wives testify, which obviously after a pain, a lot of pain and fear, they agreed to do, which like, Mm. kudos. Like if I was someone that was in this cult, especially one of the wives, holy shit, I'd be shitting my pants, not wanting to testify, being like, like you want to do the right thing, but like. You're
1: traumatized. You're traumatized. You're so brainwashed. You're just, like, numb.
0: Exactly. Um, So, at this point, too, uh, their testimonies would confirm that Tony crossed state lines with minors and sexually abused them, which are both federal crimes. So, they were like, fuck yeah. Nail you for that. And by nail you, I mean, like, nail Tony for that. Um, Compounds all over were raided. All underage children were taken by social services. And, thankfully, the jury would find Tony... Guilty for ten counts of sex trafficking across sex trafficking girls across state lines, where he was sentenced 175 years in prison without the possibility of
1: parole. They couldn't just say life. I know.
0: (laughs) I I mean, I could have wrote life, but I'm like, you know what? Just the just like the prime of like 175 years. But he's already seventy, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Reportedly, his parting words were, "Quote, another one of the prophets that went to jail for the gospel."
1: Give me a break, you know. Uh,
0: the cult crumbled shortly after, even with tro- Tony trying to maintain it behind bars. All of his appeals were obviously denied. And on May 2nd, 2017, Tony Alamo died in prison at the age of 82. Boop, 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 boop. And that, my dear weirdos, is the story of Tony and Susan Alamo, part of the Alamo Christian Foundation. Holy shit.
1: <laughs> I,
0: that's the tea. That's the T. Like, <laughs> I just can't believe, like, this is another thing. Like, this is another huge cult. I mean, I, yeah, I was in the States, but it was like, I never heard about this.
1: No, I've never heard about this, yeah. Literally. I don't know if it's just <sighs> the fact that it was, like, trying to hide behind the church itself that, like, made it, like, like get so far so long. Yeah. Versus, like, other things, or other cults, but... That's your great. That's Just something just kept happening one after the other. Just was more oh,
0: oh, head turning
1: and you're just like, what's happening?
0: Exactly. So without further ado, I'm going to drop some resources. So obviously good old Wikipedia. Uh, I use this website called find a grave. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Uh, Southern poverty law article. Christian, Christian co speaks out about her stepfather. Oh, sorry. Essentially, it was about Chris speaking about her stepfather, Tony Alamo. Mm. Uh, the Alamo Christian Foundation, Tony Alamo, podcast, podcast, pa- oh my gosh, podcast, podcast, col- uh, the cults podcast, essentially, that I kept referring to, mm. which you can find on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, definitely recommend. Now, before we tell you where to find us, let's shout out some other podcasts, shall we? In. So this week, we'd like to shout out five specific podcasts. And first, let's start off with Lady Justice Podcast. So a weekly true crime podcast that focuses on crimes from the past and present by your host, the lovely Chantel. Episode titles include Vanish, Pitchforks Pitchforks and Witchcraft, Say that ten times fast, and kinky cop killer. If that doesn't pique your interest, we don't know what will. You can listen to Lee Justice podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and
1: iHeartRadio. Next, we're going to shout out Studying Scarlet podcast, another weekly true crime podcast that dives into study of the crime and criminals, sometimes factual, sometimes fictional, but always weird. The Studying Scarlet covers the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, Highway of Tears, and fictional serial killer Dexter Morgan, to name a few. You can listen to the Studying Scarlet podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. The next is Sisterly Accurate Podcast. So this podcast
0: is like... Super new. Um, They haven't released episodes yet, but will this August. But we here, at Weird Distractions podcast, have been given the green light to still shout them out. The show will be about... uh, Or will be hosted, sorry, about... oh my gosh, we will be hosted by two sisters um, that provides you a little bit of history each episode. So if you're a history buff out there, get ready. This podcast is sure to give you your history needs. You can listen to Sisterly Accurate Podcast on Anch- Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more. Once again, coming in hat in August. You can also check out their Twitter profile and in the meantime at Sisterly A or page at sisterly underscore
1: accurate and then we've got indie drop in network so greg does a fabulous job in promoting independent podcasters and getting them the chance to tell their stories and get their name out there in this network you can explore different genres including true crime comedy and more coming soon you can find greg's indie drop in podcast page on twitter at indie drop in on instagram at indie drop in and on youtube at indie drop in network
0: And finally, our fifth shout out of the day is Evidence of a True Crime, a new true crime podcast that explores cases from all over the world, both solved and unsolved. Evidence of a True Crime will also be launching a new monthly series for families who are seeking justice. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Podbean, PocketCast, and more. Now, Christy, tell these fine weirdos where they can hit us up and find us.
1: Yeah, I'm going to shout out ourselves now. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on, obviously, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please go on, write a review, five stars. Five stars. That would be great. Um, Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and on Good Pods. You can email us any suggestions or stories or just anything in general that you want at Podcast at outlook.com you can tweet us on Twitter, Twitter. at weird i one and hit us up on our insta page at weird distractions pod, please
0: and once again thank you for listening thank you for following thank you thank you thank you for your support we appreciate it we love you we enjoy you we want to drown you with our weird distractions because we're just so appreciative of your support
1: um and we yeah. are appreciative of our continuous followers and listening to all the plays of every new episode. Exactly. And I think that's it. I think so. Yeah.
0: So instead of, what was that? Punish? Punish? I, I forget the joke now. Um, Pushing into push a little. I
1: forget what you said. <laughs> I'd I have to, to hear it to know what you said. Probably.
0: Instead of punishing you with more jibber jabber, we're going to let you go. So, uh. Need a distraction?
1: We got you. ¡Bye! Bye. Hey y'all, I'm Kim, and I'm Lark, and we host Kudzu Killers, Homicide, and Sweet Tea. Each week we discuss the juicy details of real-life murders that happen in the southern U.S., sometimes with inappropriate laughter. But we try to be nice. The stories may be old, cold, or recent, whatever we find that perks our interest. We download a new episode every Tuesday. You can find us on all the major apps as well as a few minor ones. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the rest. Just drop on by our host page at buzzsprout.com and pick your favorite app to download us on and be sure and listen. And be sure to check our blog at
0: kudzukillerspodcast.blogspot.com where we have extra content that was just too much for our little show.
1: So y'all come on, sit down with us and have a big old glass of sweet tea and enjoy listening to us talk all things murder bye Bye y'all